1: Hi, I'm Sarah Holder, a host of The Big Take. Today, we're sharing the newest episode from our collaborators over at The Big Take DC. They look at why Wall Street donors are waiting to weigh in on the GOP primary. Make sure you subscribe to The Big Take DC feed so you can get episodes like these every Thursday. Just look up Big Take DC, available wherever you listen to podcasts. And while you're there, check out the reporting from the Iowa caucuses earlier this week. With that, enjoy the show. I'll talk to you Monday. If you look at a list of the top individual contributors to any U.S. election, you're going to notice a pattern.
2: The biggest donors mostly work in finance. So these are people who run hedge funds, who are big investors, and are well-known within the finance world. That's my
1: Bloomberg News colleague, Laura Davison. If you follow Wall Street, you might even recognize some of these names. Ken
2: Griffin, Jeff Yass, Paul Singer...
1: During the 2022 midterms, those three billionaires gave over $150 million in federal political donations. That money went to campaigns, organizations, and political parties. That's enough to fund an entire Senate race. And about a year ago, Laura started calling up some major donors. Heading into what could be one of the most consequential elections in decades, she wanted to know which candidate they
2: liked best. And I was making a bunch of calls To different donors, they said, look, none of us like Trump. What we need to do is get behind one candidate and all donate to that candidate.
1: That's what Laura thought would happen, especially because major donors could be the key to another Republican candidate beating former President Donald Trump for the party's nomination. But now here we are in January 2024, less than a year away from
2: that very election. And things really haven't changed. Basically, they didn't get behind anyone
1: from Bloomberg's Washington bureau. This is the Big Take DC podcast. I'm your host, Saleya Moson. Today on the show, we'll hear from Laura, and also I'll introduce a source of mine who's pretty close to this story, investor Kyle Bass. He's plugged into the world of political money and is close with some major donors. Kyle and I dig into what folks in that world want out of this election cycle and what it all means for the 2024 race. By this point in a presidential campaign cycle, we'd typically be seeing a lot of wealthy investors opening up their wallets. They'd be hosting fundraisers, funneling money towards the candidates they support. But not this year.
2: Just to kind of give you like size and scope here, back in 2016, which was the last time we had a Republican primary crowded field, by the end of the third quarter, which is the latest data that we we have to compare to, the top 10 Republican donors had given $5 million to all the Republican presidential candidates. Right now, we only have about 1.3 million in donations that have so far been reported. So, you know, almost a fifth compared to 2016. Part of that comes down to the Republican frontrunner,
1: former President Donald Trump. I talked about this with one big investor, Kyle Bass. He runs a hedge fund called Heyman Capital Management out of Dallas, Texas.
3: I mean, look, I know Trump's second largest donor. He's a very good friend of mine. Someone that donated nine figures, okay? We're talking $100 million or more. Someone that really gave the Donald real money in 2016. And so far, he's not given Trump any money this year.
1: That's not a one-off. Only two of the top 10 Republican donors in the last presidential cycle have committed to Trump's 2024 campaign. And at this point in the last cycle, over half of them had already donated. Bass isn't a major political donor himself, but he has thrown his money into some races in the past. And when he looks at the options in front of him this year, like many Americans, he's not that excited.
3: You know, look, I don't have a friend that believes Trump or Biden should be our president. Two octogenarians that each have a litany of their own problems is the best that the United States can serve up right now. And and I just don't think that's the case.
1: The possibility of that rematch feels especially real this week. On Monday, Trump ran away with the Republican nomination in the Iowa caucuses by a landslide. But Trump is a tricky candidate for fiscal conservatives. These donors tend to favor the Republican Party because it supports lower taxes and less regulation of the businesses that they run. But while Trump is a Republican, he isn't consistent. His policies and his actions are unpredictable. That makes him feel risky for investors who need stability from their government. Here's Bloomberg's Laura Davison again.
2: At its core, they're running a business, and so they want to know what the policy is going to be. Is there going to be a 10 percent tariff on all imports? Is he going to get in fights with trading partners or allies or things that could disrupt how they go about doing business? Having um, consistency and trust in what Washington is doing and that it's not going to disrupt the broader economic outlook is really important to business leaders, first and foremost.
1: And there's another reason these executives may be staying away from Trump they might not want the liability that comes with being associated with him.
2: If you run a big business, you have a lot of employees. Trump has been a very divisive figure.
1: That doesn't necessarily mean they won't support Trump with their dollars and their votes if he takes the Republican nomination. But going into New Hampshire next week and South Carolina a few weeks later, these candidates aren't just vying for state delegates. They're also in a less visible contest, the one to win over GOP donors who tend to watch these early state-level races as they decide which candidates to give money to. Big investors have told Laura they're still holding out hope for a viable Trump challenger. Just this week, even after the Iowa results, Blackstone CEO Steve Schwartzman refused to tell CNBC what he'd do if Trump was the Republican nominee.
4: I'm in the,
3: let's wait and see and see how this works. I'm not into the hypothetical world
4: yet. Uh, as much as you'd like me to be.
1: These donors are craving an alternative, a new standard bearer for traditional Republican Party principles, like fiscal conservatism, who also offers the stability that their businesses and the markets rely on. The trouble is, they've had a tough time committing to one.
2: Basically, everyone sat around and couldn't decide whether it was going to be DeSantis, whether it was going to be Tim Scott, Nikki Haley. So what did these investors do? They scattered a little bit of money
1: to several different candidates. Some of them backed Florida Governor Ron DeSantis early on. But he supported some social policies that aren't so popular with investors. And he doesn't always give donors the kind of attention they expect their money to buy. John Katsimatidis, a billionaire who was donated to the Republican Party, talked about this on CNN. And he sounded bewildered.
4: I have a lot of uh, Florida friends that helped uh, uh, him get elected, and uh, he hasn't returned any of their calls.
1: Even DeSantis's biggest donor, a Florida real estate magnate named Robert Bigelow, said he'd made a mistake in offering his support. Other investors have gotten behind Nikki Haley, the former South Carolina governor. That includes major Democratic donor and LinkedIn founder Reid Hoffman. And J.P. Morgan CEO Jamie Dimon called on the audience of the New York Times Dealbook conference directly when he said,
2: Even if you're a very liberal Democrat, I urge you, you know, help Nikki Haley too.
1: Haley's also gotten $4 million from a group backed by Charles Koch, a billionaire Republican donor. You may have seen headlines that essentially say, Wall Street's going for Haley. Her competitors have certainly leaned into that narrative. We heard it this week at Trump and DeSantis rallies leading up to the Iowa caucuses.
4: Nikki and Crooked Joe are both backed by war mongers and left-wing globalist Wall Street, millionaires and billionaires. Trump is running for his issues. Haley's running for the donors' issues. I'm running for your issues, your family's issues.
2: But my colleague Laura told me that the Haley narrative is not so simple. She did get some big donors, but still not even close to touching Trump, as well as some of these people have been saying, hey, we should support Nikki Haley, but haven't necessarily followed up with financial support.
1: Just listen to some of these investors' waver when they're asked about it. Here's Ken Griffin, the CEO of Citadel, on Bloomberg TV. Are you supporting her financially yet?
3: That's a decision that we're actively contemplating. I mean, we're at the finish line on that choice, yes or no.
1: And here's billionaire investor Ken Langone on Fox Business.
0: I'm almost there. I um uh... I I got a couple of things I want to do, but I'm pretty certain
1: it's almost comical. The anchors on MSNBC have had a field day with it. Here's Joe Scarborough.
4: I will say, if if a donor said they were actively contemplating supporting me, and I was sitting across the table, (laughs) I'd do this.
1: He leans back, crosses his arms, and glares.
3: You keep actively contemplating. Just write the chat.
1: (laughs) Kyle Bass isn't planning to donate to any candidate, but from where he sits, the problem is simple donors want a return on their investment. And at this point, it's not clear who can deliver that for them.
3: No one wants to burn money. They're trying to figure out who the front runner is going to be. And so they're just holding off.
1: Ken Langone said as much just this week when he was asked about Haley. He said he was waiting to see what happens in New Hampshire because, as he put it, you don't throw money down a rat hole. But Republican donors are in sort of a chicken-and-egg situation. They're waiting to see who Trump's top challenger is before throwing money into the race. But no one candidate can become the top challenger without more of their support. And they're running out of time. While these donors are waffling, Trump's core voter base has remained steadfast, as proven in Iowa. And the bulk of Trump's campaign fundraising comes from small-dollar donors,
2: not C-suite investor types. I think that's the conclusion that a lot of donors have come to, that Trump has such a loyal following, you know, between 30 and 40 percent of the Republican base. And there's almost nothing that I, a wealthy donor, can do to sway that population.
1: So while they wait it out and hope another frontrunner emerges, these big donors are taking another approach to tip the scale of politics by targeting down ballot races. We'll get to that after the break.
4: Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company
0: Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more. So you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com Enterprise Data to learn more.
1: We're back. Just like many of us, investors can't figure out who they want in the White House. So instead, they're using their money to advance what they want from their government. Part of that strategy is to hedge their bets by getting
2: involved in smaller races – Here's Bloomberg's Laura Davison again. They're looking at how can I provide a counterweight either to Trump or to Biden if he's in the White House. That's why you see all this money going into House races, congressional races. They're looking at how can we get Republicans that align with our sort of pro-business, anti-regulation worldview into office.
1: Let's take a moment to talk about how donating money to down-ballot races can influence policy in a different way than donating to a presidential campaign. First, we have to understand campaign finance.
2: Campaign finance laws are really complicated. So if a donor wants to give to a specific campaign, they're only allowed to give a couple thousand dollars. This limit changes every year. For this year, it's $3,300. But when you look at kind of how they're giving in totality, some of the biggest donors are giving, you know, more than $100 million annually or tens of millions of dollars. But that's spread across dozens, if not hundreds, of candidates and other entities, super PACs, regular PACs, leadership PAC stands for Political Action
1: Committee, and they essentially funnel money to campaigns to get around those donation caps. So when push comes to shove, big money donors can dole out millions of dollars however they please. And support from one key investor has the power to trickle down. Because while you or I might not change your votes based on, say, who Ken Griffin decides to back, some of the employees or clients at Citadel, his investment firm,
2: might. The way that political fundraising works a lot of these times is a certain person who is a big advocate for a candidate will host a fundraiser at their home or, you know, with their country club or some other site and invite all their friends to come. And that's how they reel people in. So if you have a really big name who's very trusted, supporting and endorsing a certain candidate, you can get a lot of kind of other donors who are maybe not, you know, going to give tens of millions of dollars but might give hundreds of thousands of dollars, people who aren't necessarily a hedge fund founder. But that person is their boss or their boss's boss's boss. And they see, ah, okay, Ken Griffin is backing this candidate. That might be a person that I want to back. I trust his judgment as an investor. I probably also will trust his judgment as a donor.
1: And what kind of impact can that money
2: have on an election cycle? So it can have a lot of impact, particularly when you're looking at House and Senate races, when the total budget for a specific candidate for that race might be about a million dollars. If a really wealthy investor comes in and gives, you know, $100,000, that can really sway the race. And of course, that investor is, you know, as such a big donor, is definitely going to get face time with the candidate. So that person can really have a lot of sway in the kinds of issues they're talking about, where they're campaigning, how they're campaigning.
1: It's a bit of a different picture when it comes to a presidential campaign. According to Open Secrets, the 2020 election cycle brought in a record $5.7 billion.
2: The numbers we're talking about are just so much bigger on the presidential side. So in that case, it's a little bit more about influence of, okay, can I get a meeting at the Treasury Department uh, if this candidate wins? Can I um, have a meeting at the White House? Will I get invited to a state dinner? That kind of thing of a little bit more soft power.
1: Laura has pored over Federal Election Commission filings, and she's found that the same donors who have given a fraction of what they did in the past to the presidential candidates themselves, they've actually given more to Republicans overall, to
2: House and Senate races, the party in general, and super PACs. At this time in 2016 they have given $11 million in total. When you look at that number for 2023, this group has given almost $53 million. So they're giving a lot more. They're just giving a lot less to presidential candidates.
1: And because these donors are putting more money into smaller, more local races, there's now an entire ecosystem helping them choose where to spend it.
2: This is um, really interesting. There's almost a little cottage industry that has sprung up of People who um, advise some of these top donors about how to pick candidates. So they are going out, they're um, doing research and they're picking, you know, maybe 20, 30 congressional districts that they think will be important. They're looking at the Senate map saying here are going to be the competitive races. And then they're going to these places and interviewing all the candidates. It's a very um, meticulous process, a very data-driven process. These donors get a platform to talk to candidates and express exactly which policies they want advanced. Ken Griffin has been very clear, I'm interested in education, I'm interested in deregulation and how do we um, you know, make it possible for, for innovators and, and businesses to thrive.
1: And these down-ballot races can sometimes hinge on one major donor, unlike the presidential race where money can only go so far. Sure, it might get you a dinner party invite or a phone call, but it won't decide the race or necessarily shape policy. Sometimes, these investors are influencing races from thousands of miles away. An investor based in Florida might donate to congressional campaigns in North Dakota or Nebraska. And Kyle Bass? He lives in Texas. But he told me he's given to California Governor Gavin Newsom in the past.
3: Well, I gave to Gavin because I wanted to get to know him, you know, under the Know The Enemy uh, statute in San Francisco.
1: All this raises the question— Do billionaires think about everyday people, the voters and families in a particular district, for example, when they get involved in these races? Bass told me he does think about what everyday American voters want because they make up the economy that he invests in.
3: I was at a meeting of ex-Fed governors where one of them asked a question. They said, you know, do you think that service workers' wage demands are related to their future expectations of inflation.
1: In non-academic terms?
3: The question was, do you think bartenders and waitresses are demanding higher wages because they think inflation is going to accelerate in the future or stay high in the future? And I listened to them for 45 minutes debate the Phillips curve.
1: You don't have to know what the Phillips curve is to know these guys were lost in their academic modeling. They were far from the realities of paying bills and making ends meet.
3: After 45 minutes, I raised my hand and I said, have any of you spoken with a service worker in the last six months? And they all looked at each other and not one hand went up. And I said, well, I have investments in a few restaurants. So I sit down with the bartender and I sit down with the waitress who now has three jobs and they only care about one thing. All they care about is paying their rent, their car payment and their food bill and their insurance.
1: Bass might be a bit of an exception. Not all big investors, economists, or others with influence over the economy are sitting down to talk with bartenders and waitresses, but they are potentially looking to take cues from everyday people. Who voters pick in the early primaries, like New Hampshire next week, could determine which Trump alternative Wall Street may rally behind, or whether they end up backing Trump.
3: I think if you see Nikki Haley have some traction in the first few primaries, you're going to see money come into Nikki Haley's campaign from the GOP, and it's going to be big money. This is all going to come down to the wire. There's no doubt. Uh, So I, I actually think, I do think that big money can sway opinions.
1: Hearing Bass say that made me think of a moment from my conversation with Laura Davison. Let's think really big picture here for a second. Trump has a pretty big lead in the polls right now. If a bunch of investors, just every investor with all the money, got behind one of his opponents, DeSantis or Haley, right now, could it, would it make a difference?
2: At this point, It's too late. Money takes time. You have to hire staff. You have to run advertisements. You have to create those advertisements. It's not like you can put it in a campaign and have it give you a bump in your poll numbers immediately. And so at this point, voters are going to the polls. A lot of people have already made up their mind. The kind of leads that Trump has in the polls suggest that he could potentially have this nomination sewed up, you know, March, April time. Money really won't make a difference. It's the candidates themselves that have to to win it for themselves. Thanks for listening to the Big Take DC podcast from Bloomberg
1: News. I'm Saleha Mosin. This episode was produced by Julia Press and Naomi Shaven. It was fact-checked by Molly Nugent. A special thanks to Bill Allison and Laura Davison. Alex Sugiera and Blake Maples are our mix engineers. Our story editors are Caitlin Kenny, Wendy Benjaminson, and Michael Shepard. Sage Bauman is our executive producer and head of podcasts. If you like what you heard, please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review the show. It'll help other listeners find us. Thanks for tuning in. I'll be back next week.
0: What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher-level analysis,